BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Oh, the horn is going. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a surplus they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young men can play against and make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Tom, as far as early season sandwich games go, this was one. Yeah, it was, man. We we talked before this game about how this was like the fun and gun light version. You know, this this kind of got us ready for, you know, seeing the old misses and seeing the Auburns with the no huddle and the five wides and the, you know, running the 80 to 90 plays a game. And, and so I think it gave us a good, it gave us a good measurement of, of what we need to improve on defensively uh, for sure. And uh, definitely on the offensive side of the ball, you know, while the score looks good, uh, we definitely left some things on the table. Yeah. It's, it's one of those games, you know, it's a typical sort of, you know, I'll call it a sandwich game, I guess, but it's a typical sort of saving after a big game, another big game coming up. There's a lot of things that we can improve upon, but there's a lot of things to be, if not happy, to at least be satisfied. And the minute that we take this game and we're not and we start to not be satisfied about it, we need to realize that we could be Auburn or we could be Arkansas. No, we could be. And we also could be Alabama teams of old when, you know, you and I've been sitting in the stands watching these games for a long time. And there's games like this in the past. Um, that would be a 10 to 7 or a 13 to 7 final score that we really would be wringing our hands. So, so it's nice to say we left things on the table and we still won by over 30 points. Yeah. Yeah. The, the game was never, was never uh, really in question. So I, I completely agree with that. But well, once you pick us out, uh, something on offense and uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the offensive side of the ball. No, absolutely, man. We always talk on this show about how we like to try to, you know, point out the the little things and 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 things that guys might have missed. And 
you know, I just want to mention a couple of things and kind of get your thoughts here, some quick bullet points. Um, one of the things I noticed is you talked about the Mulaney kid last uh, last week. And, you know, we talked in the preseason show about, you know, what we thought he was going to do. And, you know, we even had an over under on how many catches he was going to make. Well, there was a there was a key series in the first quarter where he lined up in the backfield um, in the I formation with Derrick Henry behind him. And whenever the play, whenever the play started, he would look like he was going to be a lead blocker to the right. And then he peeled off in the flats and, you know, he got the ball thrown to him. And when you, when you went back and looked at the play a couple of times, you're like, man, that's the Jostin Fowler play. And so I say that because I think he has taken on the mantle um, that if we see that play on the goal line or we see that play at the 50-yard line with uh, the guy peeling out who had lined up in the traditional fullback position, I think Mulaney's going to be the guy. Yeah, I think that's inter- interesting. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that sort of in real time that, uh, that he did that. I can't say that I'm altogether surprised. He strikes me as, as, uh, as a player that uh, Saban's going to try to be very versatile with, use him in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, coming in as a senior, experience in another system. I mean, he's got to learn our system, but, you know, we can teach him, you know, very specific things that we're going to have him do, and and he's talented and capable enough to execute that. I, I, th- I think that he's going to be a, a weapon to us in that regard. I also think that we are actively, um, you know, I'll call it, you know, having auditions for that Justin Fowler uh, role. We played five tight ends on Saturday. Uh, and and, uh, and a halfback in uh, Nice Wander. And so we are trying to get someone in those positions. I know we lined uh, Howard up in the backfield uh, a couple of times, and we've done some inside, uh, I don't want to say screens, but some inside uh, traps uh, with Howard. And so we're trying to sort of recreate the, uh, the Fowler role. I think it's going to be especially exciting and I don't want to look too far ahead, but it's going to be especially exciting when Scarborough comes back because I think he is going uh, to elevate that role. I think he's going to see some plays in that package. No, absolutely. But, you know, I, I will say going back to the to that Mulaney play, I think it's just because he's shown that he's sure-handed, right? Right. And, and he has shown that, you know, he's not going to make a mistake in that play. And and sure enough, he handled a bad late pass and still got a you know a key first down and you know forty something yard line of of, of Middle Tennessee State. Um, you know, you you said last week on the podcast you were talking about all the different formations and you were talking about the flexibility and you just kind of mentioned all the tight ends and I went back and looked at the first quarter mainly because it was kind of like you know how we you know how we say we script so many plays to start the game. You know, like Lane Kiffin or most offensive sure. coordinators are going to have the first, some, you know, so many plays scripted. So I was kind of curious, how did we line up on those first couple series? And so if you look at those first eight to ten plays, how did we do it? And so I thought it was interesting that on the first play of scrimmage, we are lined up with Coker in the shotgun, but we have three tight ends in the game. We have Nice Wander, we have um, Dakota Ball, and we have O.J. Howard. And then on the very next play, we have four wides. And so we have Dakota Ball lined up wide right with our Darius Stewart behind him. 
and we have O.J. Howard lined up wide left with Robert Foster behind him, and Coker got to pick where he wanted to throw the ball, right? Which, which wide receiver am I going to throw it to for the tight end to block for them? Right. And so that was kind of neat that we went right back to that, and it goes back to the versatility that they're using with uh, Dakota Ball. And so then on the very next play, we have a traditional two tight end uh, formation for a run. Um, so, we, so we just have a two tight end formation, no wide receivers. Then the very next play, we have a three wide receiver look with Kenyon Drake in the slot, Derek Henry in the backfield next to Coker in the shotgun. So, so there's your Kenyon Drake and Derek Henry in the game at the same time. And we have two tight ends lined up in a bunch formation. I'm sorry, we have trips right next to the tackle, up next to the tackle on the right-hand side, and we do a sweep with uh, Kenyon Drake. And, and so, and then the very next two plays, um, uh, the next play is a third and six, and we have two tight ends, O.J. Howard and Dakota Ball. We send both of them to the, to the first down markers. We send both of them to the sticks on third and six, and Dakota Ball is wide open. Nobody covers him, and Coker doesn't even look for him. He tries to force it to a wide receiver, and it's incomplete. But we literally, on those first six or seven plays, we showed so much versatility. It kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning of the season. All the different looks that we gave teams in those first two series Dude, we wouldn't have done that for a whole half of football in years past. Yeah, we're definitely, uh, you know, that uh, it's interesting to kind of see the, all the different personnel and all the different uh, formations. Like you know, like you said, a lot of liberal use of of the tight end and a lot of different capacities. You know, split out. We've seen that. Uh, I like you know where we have almost uh, dueling uh, setups for sort of a tight end type uh, uh, or a wide receiver screen with a tight end blocking. I like the mechanic of that. You have sort of a, a blocker, uh, you know, in the tight end out wide and and uh, kind of helping create some space. Also, like, you know, you mentioned Kenyon Drake on the sweep, and we've seen him, uh, we saw him a couple times on Saturday, kind of run sweeps or end arounds. And, you know, for all the times we talk and, and, and really complain about, you know, why are we running Julio Jones or why are we, why are we running, you know, Amari Cooper, you know, the franchise wide receiver, on these end arounds, I like running a Kenyon Drake on an end around. And we always talk about let's run uh, either the shorter, more stout uh, uh, running uh, receiver, you know, kind of like, a, um, you know, make, maybe a DeAndrew or, you know, like a Christian Jones last year was, was a good example, Marquise Mays in years past. But the better idea is to run it with a running back. And, and I know an end around with a running back, but when you take someone like a Drake that you can split out and then you run the end around, then you're running an end around with a running back. I'll, I really like that. And he had some good success. So I like that is something uh, that, that I want to see us sort of layer into the offense a little bit more. No, absolutely. Hey, uh, a couple other quick bullet points I want to mention. Um, on the first touchdown that Alabama scored after the turnover, uh, where Jake Coker uh, threw it to Robert Foster. He was in the shotgun, and um, when he took the ball back, he just hesitated, slow release, 
threw off his back foot, didn't get much in the throw. Robert Foster had to wait on the throw. Um, Derrick Henry was lined up next to him and was supposed to be given a fake. And so Derrick Henry put his hands up like he was going to get the ball. But I'll just say Jake Coker is very far removed from Peyton Manning when it comes to, you know, how you do the fake. He needs to watch him and Eli do it. Yes, they scored a touchdown there, okay? But later in the first quarter, he had Calvin Ridley wide to the left. He had trips to the right. They had an isolation play. The DB was 10 yards off Calvin Ridley. Once again, he's in the shotgun. He takes his time. This time, he doesn't fake it to Kenyad Drake. He doesn't freeze the linebackers. He throws off his back foot. He lobs the ball out there. Calvin Ridley gets two yards. If he would have quickly shuffled his feet, stepped into the throw, thrown a bullet in that situation, Calvin Ridley could have probably made the one guy miss and might have gone 20, 25 yards. So one of the other bullet points I wanted to mention to you is – I know you can elaborate on Coker because we, we've watched him a lot. I think he had an off game. Uh, here's a situation where against an old Miss, your mechanics better be there. And there was a couple times where it looked like he was just going through the motions. And because it was Middle Tennessee State, it worked out. Yeah, he never got into a rhythm. And, you know, partly, partly that's on him. Partly that's, a, that's on the play calling. I thought we forced a lot of balls to our Darius Stewart, uh, and 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 maybe maybe that kind of took took uh, Coker out of his rhythm. But there were times where there was an open receiver, and he was maybe only looking to one side of the field, and so we didn't get the advantage uh, of the other side of the field. There was a couple times where we went to the line of sc- scrimmage, and receivers were not covered. And uh, there was one play there. There were two receivers uh, essentially not covered, and you know, we went to the other side of the field, so Coker really never looked at it. That's something where, where a leader, a, a leader at the position, needs to say, "I understand that we've called the play. They're leaving a guy uncovered. We're going to hurry to the line of scrimmage, and we're going to get that ball out to that uncovered receiver. Coach, we'll run your play next, but you know, we have a freebie here, and so that's something that." Um, you know, I would like to see him take the take the reins with. And then there were a couple of instances, and, and it's easy from the stands. I get it, and so I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we want to we want to talk about what we see. And there were a couple of times where I know it was O.J. Howard once, and it was a receiver. I want to say Foster, but I'm not – the name escapes me as to which one it really was. But there were a couple of instances where – the wide receiver uh, or the receiver on the route, you know, flashed open. And as soon as they flashed open and, and you could throw, throw in the ball, it was really too late to give them the ball because they were across, you know, they had, they had flashed open in the opening or in the seam in the zone. And then by the time you could have gotten in the ball, it was too late. Uh, you know, they were kind of back behind the safety or back behind an, another defender. And it's the kind of thing that, and it's kind of like working without a net, right? You have to know the offense. You have to know where your receiver is going to be. You have to know where they're going to flash. And and the really, really good quarterbacks can anticipate that. You know, it's almost the difference between pro and college, right? In the pros, you don't see the window. You just know where they're going to be. 
And so you put the ball where the receiver is going to be. And it, there was two two times definitely they just stood out to me as pretty glaring. There was probably four or five where if he put the ball where the receiver was going to break, then you know sort of an anticipation of the of the opening that you know we we would have had uh, you know the offense wouldn't have sputtered in the way that it did. And that's something that he can look at film and get more comfortable and just and feel comfortable. And maybe it's the pressure of the competition. I don't know what it is, but if but if he can get more comfortable just pulling the string on those passes, uh, I think that's you know. And he hits a couple of those, you know. It's it's almost like I don't know if I can do it, but when he does it, I think his confidence is going to go through the roof. But I, he just, he has to do it. And so now you know, Ole Miss coming to town, a tougher defense. Um, you know, I wish that we could have seen some of that last week. No, I'm with you. Um, I definitely uh, think that's more of a pro skill than a college skill because um, they're just they're just thinking, you know, too hard. They want to make sure they sure. don't make a mistake. Um, and and I want your take on what I said as far as the, you know, bad fake handoffs and the throws in the flats, because I think his throws across the middle um, tend to look like they have more on them. They tend to be more crisp. But the balls out wide, you you talked about during the game on a couple plays where he got rushed and he, you know, he put too much on the ball and the ball sailed over mm -hmm. their head out of bounds. On these two plays, right, he needed the Aaron Rodgers quick snap throw, get it out there fast, get it to him, let him do something with the ball. And so instead of following through with his with his right foot, he kept his right foot back. He threw off his back foot, you know, he didn't hold the linebackers to start with because he didn't even go to the running back to even to do the fake. And he does this stuff in practice every day. Do you think it's just because he's got too many things on his mind? Well, I, th I think a couple of things. I, th I think on some of, those, some of those passes, he's concentrating on trying to go fast. And, and so concentrating on trying to go, step, uh, trying to go fast, he's, he's leaving steps out. And so what he needs to realize is that smooth is fast. And so if he can, if he can get his drop and then, and then, you know, go through his motion, but do it very smoothly and efficiently, that that is fast. And so when he, when, when he steps back and he's, he's thinking, I've got to take the these steps really, really quick. And I've got to throw the ball really, really quick. Then you start to, you start to be sort of herky jerky in your motion, as opposed to, one, two, three, one, two, three, and the ball's out of my hands. I've stepped back, I've thrown the ball, but I've done it very smooth as opposed to clop, 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 you know, and then and, and short my motion, and then you're not accurate, and then you're really not that much faster, but you're not accurate. And, and even if the receiver catches it, they're not catching it that's, that's most effective or most efficient for them to make the move, right? You've got to put it where they can – catch it and run as opposed to I've got to go get it. Yes. Now I've got That's to reset myself to, to run. And and one right. thing that looked and we commented on this from the Wisconsin game, that he looked very poised. He looked very relaxed. Uh he put um just the right amount of touch on his shorter passes. And so they were they were nice catchable balls. Yeah, we talked about last year he was rushing passes and he would throw a bullet you know, on a six yard pass and, and, and a very, you know, hard to catch ball. He seemed to be, he seemed to regress 
he seemed to regress some uh, against MTSU. We talked about no, maybe I... MTSU didn't have anything to lose, and so you know they were they were a more maybe maybe more aggressive coming after him. But he should still have felt the same level of relax that he did against against Wisconsin. He just seemed to to, to like you know like you said intentionally trying to rush, which got him out of smooth, which then got him out of his poise. And then so he was throwing the ball harder than he needed to. Uh, and then and then he was, you know, he he was throwing some balls short because, you know, it, it was just it was just messing up with, you know, messing up his, his targeting. So he just seemed he just seemed out of his element uh, a little bit. Well, on the passes in the flats that I'm referring to, where he threw off his back foot, he just lazily threw that pass out there. And if he does that against an SEC yes. opponent, it's going to be a pick six. And our team is predicated on the play-action pass. And you, even with Blake Sims, when Blake Sims had some of his best success down the field, it was on the play-action pass. And so I guess that's why I'm focusing on this this fake handoff so far, so much because if you do not, if you do not freeze these guys, it's going to get really hard when you get in the SEC play. Yeah. So I think you said it best when you said regress. I think he looks very comfortable when he drops back on a five-step drop. He doesn't have to do the play-action pass. He can look over the field and he can comfortably find a guy to throw the ball to. And so in that situation. He 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 looks good, but I think on the play action pass he's struggling a little bit, and I think on the plays out out the sideline passes, you know his mechanics are not where they need to be, and um, you know I just I hope that's something that we continue to see improvement because because I think the kids playing well. When when I sat there and talked about the all the different formations to start the game, okay, that's on the quarterback too. Sure. The quarterback was lining up in the pistol. He was lining up in the shotgun. He was lining up under center, then back to the pistol, then back under center, then back to the shotgun. That crap's not easy, okay? Um, and no offense to Blake Sims, but a lot of times Blake Sims spent the game in the shotgun. Sure. And if you line up in the shotgun and, and it's like, oh, coach, okay, I'm in the shotgun again. Okay, I'm in the shotgun again. So that's why I said, do you think they're throwing too much at him? Because he was in – three or four different positions two were in the first eight plays sure. he was probably two shotguns three pistols and three under centers yeah right? that's kind of hard for the first eight or nine plays of a game yeah i mean you know we're running you know we, a lot of different personnel groups a lot of different formations and and you know part of that and it's a good point you're making is that the quarterback is lining up uh, is lining up differently. Um, and, you know, and that is a lot on, that is a lot on the quarterback. And so I don't say any of this to, to disparage Coker as much as he, he's got to, he's got to make the forward steps, uh, the steps forward. And here are some of those areas uh, that, that we need to see. Hey, you're talking about the play action, which I agree. You know, we do a lot off of the, uh, a lot off of the play action. Uh, and, and so, you know, that requires a, a, a stout running game. What was your take on Henry uh, Saturday? You know, Derrick Henry, um, he, he, seemed, he seemed hesitant 
um, to hit the holes. Um, he seems to be running to upright. Um, he seems to, I don't want to say dancing, but he's a power running back. He is not a slicing type of back and he's a downhill running back. And so when the hole's there, he's got to hit the hole. He's got to use his brute size and strength and drag players five yards down the field. Um, you know, he is, um, I think, I think his style of running is more challenging for offensive linemen than TJ Yeldon was. With TJ Yeldon, we did a zone blocking scheme and TJ Yeldon could just find a hole. I don't think Derrick Henry is as adept at just finding the hole. He's trying to hit the hole that he thinks is the hole to hit, and uh, he seemed a little bit hesitant. Yeah, I, you know, it's part of the part of the discussion of of Henry is you know he's as big as he is, you know, two forty, and so the default thought process is that he's a he's a bruising running back, and the reality is he's not a bruising running back. He's a speed back. And so as big as he is and as, and as powerful as he looks like he should be, that's not his game. And so to watch him, it does get frustrating to, that he doesn't attack a hole or he doesn't create his own daylight. I mean, you know, you know kind of the saying is at his size, he's his own lead blocker, except for that's not how he plays the game. He plays – he plays like a much smaller back and that he's looking for uh, the, like you said, the downhill around the corner. And there's no surprise that he had the level of success that he did in high school, because in his size and speed, he probably scared some defensive players. You could probably knock back some high school players with just a little bit of physicality. And then his speed is just off the charts anyways. In college, he needs more of that physicality. And, I mean, I like the guy. He scored three touchdowns, almost 100 yards. Uh, he does some things that are just amazing and you never see. You know, that a, big, a guy that big getting up to that speed is, is very impressive. But there are times that he's just very, very frustrating because he doesn't run like a back of his size you think he should run. No, I agree with that. He he is a he is a four yard. Well, you you want him to be a four yard in cloud of dust guy, and so I do think that he will get to the point in his career where he falls forward, right? And he knows that if I just fall forward, I can get five yards. And so when he when he did so well in that Oklahoma game, um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was just no one the, the defense did not estimate his speed to be as fast as he is and so right. in this Wisconsin game you know when he hit a hole and and he saw an opening right nobody could catch him and so to your point i think that's what's so unique about him is he is that home run threat but he's 240 pounds yeah yeah you know against Wisconsin and part of it we talked about you know splitting out the 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 
tight ends to sort of, you know, thin out the box. He didn't have to meet a linebacker in the hole and and, and sort of hand-to-hand combat for his yards. I mean, he hit the hole and ran through arm tackles. Um, and so, you know, and, and he had obviously, you know, tremendous success, you know, with that. I just don't know. Uh, and, and I'll say this, though, you know, because we talked about this some last year and we talked about, you know, him sort of dancing in the hole and, and being indecisive. And we spent time with that last year. But we made a point, too, in the second half of the season. He played with uh, 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 he played with more physicality, you know, uh, specifically the Ohio State game. But there are other games late in the season where he did lower his shoulder and he did play with more physicality. And 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 you know we were very loud in the stand saying that's what we need, Derek. That's what we need. And so I had carried over some optimism that 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 uh, uh, switch had flipped for him, you know, the last third of the season last year. And so what I'm seeing this season is that you know somehow we need to get back in his head and flip that again. That as big as you are, you have got to be your own blocker, and and you can inflict. Uh, you can inflict the damage and, um, you know, and, and make those tough yards. We've got to see that from him. Uh, if, if we do not see that from him, then when Bo Scarborough comes back, um, he, he's going to have a, a, a pretty significant opportunity uh, ahead of him uh, because – and I love Kenyon Drake, and, and he'll run physical, but, you know, he's, he's, he's not quite as big. And so if Bo can step in there and run with size and speed and physicality, um, I, you know, we have that, we have a position open for a running back that can do that. And as much as everyone likes to think it's Henry, it's only, it's been more the exception than the rule that he is that physical runner. Well, I will say right now with the challenges that Bo Scarborough has, um, I think that if, if Henry, doesn't answer that bell, then I think Damian Harris is a more likely candidate. Um, sure. You know, he, he like Derrick Henry, was the number one running back in the nation. And, um, you know, he, he looked pretty decent on his eight carries. I will say one of our colleagues in the stands next to us made a comment, you know, on Derrick Henry's 17th and 18th carry that he's just getting warmed up. What I hope it is with Derrick Henry is – get him the ball early and often and get him warmed up to get him going. So I really think that he finished with 18 carries, and I don't know how many of those was in the first half. But I think this kid needs 15 touches in the first half to get him going and uh, get his juices flowing. And I'm just going to put it out there that I think that might be his thing, is, is you got to get him going and, and get him, you know, get that uniform dirty quickly. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's it. You know, there's, I'm a little bit nervous if, if we say that, you know, we're going to give him the ball that many times because we are a little bit thin at the position. And, uh, and, and so, you know, maybe later in the season, I, and, and this will sound counterintuitive, I guess, but maybe when Bo comes back, we'll feel more comfortable giving Derek more carries. Does that make sense? No, it does. No, it does. Hey, what else jumped out at you on, on offense for, I mentioned a couple other things. I thought, you know, and I mentioned this uh, a minute ago, but it, it was almost embarrassing the way we were trying to feed the ball to our Darius. He, and look, he's, uh, he's one of the more dynamic players on the team. I love the kid, but 
you know, six catches for 21 yards, just that just reeks of forcing it too much. Uh, and I think Robert Foster, I think he he is he is emerging. Uh, you know, he had four catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he is an emerging talent. So uh, that's someone we need to watch as the season progresses. Well, I will tell you, you talked about, you know, Jacob Coker earlier, you know, probably rushing. And we talked about, you know, we, we, we analyzed that a lot here a few minutes ago. But, you know, those stats bear it out, man. That's not the first string quarterback at Alabama stats. You know, 15 of 26 is, is not what you're looking for, you know. Right. I mean, 50%, you know, just barely over 50% completion, um, you know, is definitely surprising. Um, I did like the fact that, you know, once again, we've got five receivers with over four catches. Um, that's yep. nice. I also want to mention very quickly Dakota Ball. I know you talked about him in the first show, uh, Wisconsin. I'm just impressed that a defensive lineman um, is being asked to line up in so many different positions on the offensive side of the ball and grasp it as well as he is doing. And I just hope that they look on film and see that nobody is covering Dakota Ball and get him on the jugs machine because I think a big third and 10 is waiting for him. Oh, yeah. There are opportunities that have his name just all over them. And if we are missing, if, if we're just not finding him, and uh, then, then that starts to be a little bit frustrating. I want to think that we know he's there, and we're just we're saving that. I, that's what I want to think. I don't know if that's a little too crimson colored glasses, but uh, he he has been there too many times for that not to be by design, right? No, I'm with you there. Any uh, anything else on offense for game ball? Yeah, why don't you give me your game ball? All right, man. Well, I, I think that that this one really could have gone a couple ways, um, but I'm I'm gonna stick with uh, the the mini game ball theme, and and I and I probably highlighted it too much to start with, but I, I'm really gonna give this one to Mulaney and Dakota Ball. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of other ways we could go here with the with the mini game ball fashion with the Ridley story and some of that, but sure. I just I think Mulaney and Dakota Ball are playing that workman-like effort um, that you and I talk about, that, that they find players to just do the little things that nobody else is willing to do. And um, that's so critical for a football team. And so uh, I want to give a shout-out to those two guys. No, I think that's two good picks. Uh, I think O.J. Howard probably had his best day uh, in terms of uh, most complete, well-rounded day. I think he, he, he is a candidate probably a little bigger than, uh, you know, than a, a mini game ball, but, uh, you know, he had a good day. Uh, I'm, we I'm were trying to get him the ball, by the way, early Take and it. often. We were Take trying it. to get him the ball early and often, like you and I talked about. Yes, yes. that We, t we seem to be intentional in doing that, and, uh, and I like that. He had, he, had some, he had some good plays, you know, four catches, 68 yards. Uh, you know, I, I thought he had a, a pretty robust day. But uh, I'm giving my mini game ball – and we've already talked about him. I'm giving uh, my mini game, uh, game ball to uh, Damian Harris. And, uh, you know, he looked good running the ball. But, uh, man, he really showed some speed uh, running down uh, a tackle uh, when Bateman uh, threw an ill-advised pass, uh, went the other direction. Uh, Damian, uh, you know, he, he, he wanted, wanted it to be known that uh, he was an effort player 
and he didn't want at least his offense giving up a touchdown. Uh, that that tackle, uh, what is it, seventy something yards that, that that he ran that back. He really demonstrated some speed there. And I tell you, on that next possession, he had a forty-one yard run, and uh, he might have taken that to the house if he hadn't have just run down that pick. No, you're correct, and I'm glad you mentioned that um, because I, I should have stole that from you. That just showed a lot of grit on his part and determination, and uh, that speaks to his character. And so that was uh, that was good to see. Yeah, that was uh, that was fun, and and it was it was fun sort of as the crowd was, you know, the game was out of hand, and obviously you don't want to give up a, a an interception for a touchdown, but. Um, it, it was neat to kind of see the crowd, you know, cheering for him to chase him down and make the tackle. And, uh, you know, sort of the, the applause that he got uh, for the fans and, and certainly the appreciation from uh, from his team members for making that tackle. Now, they all, now the defense, you know, went on to, to give up the touchdown. And, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I have a feeling when we talk the other side of the ball. But uh, it, it was neat to see sort of the embrace that he got for that effort. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I hope – uh, you know, it's almost a it's almost a message there, right? People appreciate effort, and the effort that he put out there uh, w- was pretty outstanding. And uh, I'm glad that he was celebrated for that, and I'm glad that uh, we're taking a minute with it as well. No, absolutely. And I will mention very quickly that I was glad to see that we started off the second half with Cooper Bateman. Um, yep. In years past, we wouldn't have given another quarterback this much run, and so. Um, you know he's getting a lot of opportunities in these first two ball games. Agreed, agreed. It it will be interesting to see. I mean, I can only imagine that it's going to be Coker, right? But it'll be interesting to see how the distribution of plays go this week uh, against Ole Miss versus you know what we've seen the first two weeks. No, absolutely, man. Let me let me start it off on defense. Go for um, it. I was I was surprised with how we started the game as far as personnel-wise. A um, couple different things. Uh, first of all, um, we did not rotate um, our defensive tackles at all for pretty much the entire first quarter. And so what was key about that is we just, we just, con- we just continued to, to sit there and play um, our starting two interior linemen guys and, and literally left Ashawn Robinson and Jerron Reed in there pretty much the entire first quarter, uh, even on that 13 or 14 play drive that they had, you know, that ended in a field goal. We, we rotated, um, we rotated uh, Jonathan Allen um, and we rotated Denzel Duvall, the other linebacker, um, several times. But those two guys stayed in there the entire first quarter. And I just thought that was interesting that we we didn't rotate them at all, which just makes me wonder with an opponent like that, and we're trying to get a lot of guys playing time, um, how come early in the game those two guys didn't come out at all? Yeah, that's an interesting observation. And I, you know, I'm not gonna have a an explanation uh, you know, for that necessarily. You know, you could you could wonder if we're leaving them in there knowing that they're gonna play more. Uh, next week against Ole Miss, and so we want to kind of give them some some reps. Um, you know, maybe there's there's an injury uh, across the line that that's kind of went unreported. I don't know that that's true because we did see you know some more uh, significant rotation you know as the day went on. So 
I don't know that I have an explanation for that. You know, Darren Payne did come in early, uh, uh, you know, for uh, for Lake. And so, and it's only the second game of the season, but, you know, it's his second game uh, as, you know, as a member of the Crimson Tide. And he saw action in the first quarter, whereas last week, uh, you know, I think it was at least second quarter before he saw action. So I, I was, I was, I just kind of gave a little bit of a, of a nod when I saw Darren Payne in so early. No, absolutely. And in that same big long drive that they had, um, I also thought it was interesting that that Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster were the only two linebackers inside. We did not see any Sean Dion Hamilton, who we saw early in the Wisconsin game. This reminded me of the Virginia Tech game because on that 13 or 14 play drive, they had a couple plays where the slot receivers were covered by Reuben Foster, where Reuben Foster covered the running back in the flats one time and and missed him and gave up a big first down. Mm-hmm. Um, they went five wides one time, David, and we were in the dime. And so we were in a dime formation with five wide. I'm sorry, no, we were in the nickel. They were five wides. Reuben Foster and Reggie Ragland stayed in the middle. And so one of them covered the inside slot on the right. One covered the inside slot on the left. And so, you know, two of them covered the five wide receivers. And Reggie Ragland was like 10 yards off. He gave up an easy post move, 15-yard play first down. And, and, and so as I watch this, I'm like, here we are with the big, you know, big, powerful first and second down linebackers giving up plays in the flats and giving up plays between the hashes. Right. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that real quick because on that 13 or 14 play drive from Middle Tennessee State, two of their big first downs came against our linebackers. Yeah, and so, you know, a couple of things there. I think I think Sean Dion Hamilton, you know, kind of got the Nico Johnson treatment, right? You know, Nico Johnson was the starting middle linebacker in the middle with C.J. Uh, Mosley when we ran a Saban base. And so that was sort of the arrangement, Raglan and uh, Dion Hamilton that we saw last week against uh, against Wisconsin. You know, but last week we played a lot of the Saban base. We played a lot of true true three four uh, with four DBs. This week we played a lot more nickel, and so more the nickel base that we talk about. And the nickel base, and we saw it last year or last week when we went to nickel, and we saw it this week. We just spent a lot more time in nickel, but it was uh, it was Raglan and Foster in that situation. And so, you know. I, I'm not surprised that that's what we saw and sort of Deion Hamilton was kind of shuffled out and, you know, he would rotate in some because the three of them would, would kind of uh, split duty, but, you know, and so that's, that's my take on sort of that, that part of the equation. But the other part of the uh, uh, you know, equation is, is just what you said, you know, MTSU targeted our linebackers and they targeted them in coverage and they, tar- you know, targeted them in kind of the short passing over the middle. And, you know, MDSU has good coaches just like, you know, just like anybody else. Right. And so if if they are if they are, you know, taking advantage of that and teams took advantage of it all last season, you know, we know that that's going to continue until we can stop. it. And I think Ragland's probably a little faster than, you know, he, you know, he, he seems a little trimmer than he was at the start of the season last year. He got better every week as the season went on last year. I still don't think he's a true sideline to sideline, that kind of C.J. Mosley kind of 
coverageability and speed, but I think he's going to get better. I also think, I think we will make a change with what we're doing in the secondary with, you know, so many of the corner, corner skilled players, you know, we might go to a dime and then just assign, uh, you know, Minka or, uh, you know, Mo or, or, or someone and just sort of assign them the, the shallow middle and, and, you know, almost, you know, we might run some man to man, uh, but then, you know, we're going to assign one of these corner skilled fellows uh, to, to kind of, to kind of man the middle, almost sort of a hybrid with, with the zone element. And so I, I don't know. I just, I just know we've got to do something. We cannot continue to put our downhill attack the box linebackers in, in coverage. We just can't. It hurt us last year. You know, MTSU made some plays. Again, they were never really a threat. You know, it's, you know, we, we were, you know, juggling butter knives, right? We're not going to get hurt, but we could still drop them. And so, you know, that's what happened. They moved the ball very well between the 20s. They, they, they were more efficient. You know, they only scored 10 points, and one of those came off of, you know, you know the interception that, you know, that they returned back and, you know, got a quick score. But, uh, you know, they were never a threat to really put up a lot of points, but they were always a threat to convert a third down and move the ball. And that's what we've got to, we've got to close that down because Ole Miss will be a threat to score. No, that's right. And we talked in the pre-show about the, the preseason about who was going to be the three things looking defensively, who was going to be the linebacker in the base nickel third and five between the hash marks. And if you recall, you know, I had told you that I didn't think Reuben Foster and I didn't think Dylan Lee were the guys. And your comment had been, well, you know, we might play two middle linebackers and just not be as dynamic. And I was like, well, why don't we try Sean Deion Hamilton or why don't we try Rashawn Evans? Well, I think it's clear in this game that Dylan Lee is the odd man out. Dylan Lee is the Jarrell Harris of the four linebackers in the pseudo starting roster. Uh, Denzel Duvall was clearly the guy uh, along with Reuben Foster and Reggie Ragland. And so Dylan, um, Dylan Lee was on the field hardly at all in the first quarter. Denzel Duvall was the third linebacker on the field pretty much the whole first quarter. So that tells me that they're not comfortable with Dylan, B, Dylan Lee being that nickel guy. Right. You have, you have seen that Reggie Raglan and Reuben Foster are not those guys. So I'm, I'm really scratching my head why, why we're not sitting here trying out some other guys, especially in a game like that one. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have an answer. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. It seems like we would try to try to do something. Um, you know, I'm I'm still going to say, I'm still going to say, and, and we're talking in coverage as a coverage linebacker. And you know, take that for what it is. Right, a coverage linebacker is is different than a coverage safety or a coverage corner, right? And so you kind of get you kind of get what the position is, but. I like Dylan Lee in coverage and sustained coverage more than I like Ragland. And so if that's, you know, let's go with this, let's go with, you know, the linebacker and let's put, let's put Dylan Lee in there and, or, or, or so, let's try something. And your point so to your point, something. so to, to your point, right. Instead of what, 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 you know, this is where we can be the armchair you know, court, uh, sure, coaches, sure. the quarterbacks, right. Cause it's like, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it was a 14 play drive. You tried Reggie, Reggie Raglan and Reuben Foster side by side 
pretty much all 14 plays. Mm-hmm. You had Denzel Duvall in there instead of Dylan Lee because he's bigger and his hand was in the dirt and you were acting like you had four down linemen and you were rushing the quarterback. And that's why Dylan Lee wasn't in there instead of Denzel Duvall. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, so that's not what he does. Right. Put, put him put him out there, you know, put leave Denzel doing what Denzel does, but put Dylan in for and I like Ruben Foster's speed. Uh, you know, rotate him in with Ragland with with Raglan in in those personnel groupings. No, so I'm Raglan's with you. But that, starter, I, but when we get into this, when we get into this, you know, nickel and dime, and our middle linebacker needs to have some coverage ability. Then let's throw Dylan out in that in that position and see what he does. Well, I mean, what he I'm do saying worse. No, I'm with you. I'm saying in that 14 play drive, I don't understand why they didn't just try some different combinations. Right. Okay, Ruben, you come out a couple plays, Dylan, you go in. Or Reggie, you come out a couple plays, Dylan, you go in. Let's see how that other combination works. Now's the time to try it. We're up by 30 points against Middle Tennessee State, right? I don't understand why. That seemed like the greatest opportunity to try it. Yeah. So so that that perplexed me. But I do think that early we're seeing, um, we're seeing that Dylan Lee is going to be the odd man out. Uh, of the four linebackers, at least it appears that like to me right now. He he seems right now like he's going to be the guy that plays the eight to ten reps a game. Yep, yep. No, that's fair. Uh, I, you know, I like and and this is all good discussion. And you know, it's 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 topics that we're continuing to observe, and we've got to get some pr- improvement on. But I tell you, in our, an area that we did see some improvement, and again, is an issue. But uh, you know, we forced you know four turnovers, and and three of them were fumbles. And they were fumbles where we were actively trying to strip the ball. You know, Marlon Humphrey was very impressive and going in and re- and really just trying to wrench the ball out of, uh, you know, the receiver's hands. And those are the things, you know, coaches have talked about emphasize, emphasize, emphasize the, the turnovers. This seemed to be a materialization of, you know, that emphasis that, that we are actively going in and trying to, to jar the ball loose or strip the ball out. And if we keep that up, I mean, we may not get, you know, three forced fumbles every week, but if we keep up that effort, then we're going to get the results for it. And, uh, and that, and that's impressive because, you know, we got, we got a couple of turnovers sure. and it's, it's tough to say like in key critical moments, because I don't know that there was a key critical moment in, in but they this were game. still big turnovers, but yeah. uh, big turnovers. Right. And yeah. so we need to keep that up. And so I was very pleased. Uh, I was very pleased with that. Uh, I like I like to see results from that level of effort. No, sure. And, you know, I will also uh, touch on Marlon Humphrey and Mika Fitzpatrick and say that, you know, the biggest improvement, right, is from game one to game two. So we talked about, you know, Jacob Coker regressing. And I think some of the players didn't really have, you know, if, if you could ask Saban, go, go through all the players and talk about who really – who really – showed the biggest amount of improvement from game one of the season to game two of the season. I would say two of the biggest players to me that I really could tell, um, you know, had made a difference since, you know, seven days earlier was Marlon Humphrey and Mika Fitzpatrick. And I would have to say even more so Mika Fitzpatrick than Marlon Humphrey. The, the strip was great, okay? But Mika Fitzpatrick, looks very comfortable in the star formation and he is not giving it up to anybody else. 
Right. Um, he looks very comfortable with the defense. Um, there were several times that Eddie Jackson was was signaling to him about, you know, what play was coming up. He nodded his head. You know, there was one time they had two wides to the right. You know, they had trips to the right. They were going to do the bubble screen to the right. Eddie Jackson starts crossing his arms above his head, calls out Mika. Mika turns, nods to him, immediately just crashes forward, blows up the blocker. The receiver drops the ball, but the bottom line is he got what he was telling him. Yep. And yep. and I was looking to see, you know, which guy was going to be the quarterback. Was it going to be Geno or was it going to be Eddie Jackson because they both had moved around a lot in the first game? Well, I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. But I did not see Geno talking much at all to the DBs. I saw Eddie Jackson talking a lot. Um, yep. I think Eddie has assumed that leadership role in the defense. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, what's interesting, and, you know, I guess we could go back and, and figure this out, but, you know, Geno's a senior, um, and, and inexplicably he's been on the bench, you know, the last couple of years and, some of that's his own doing with his off the field stuff. Some of it is just I don't understand. And and Eddie Jackson, you know, almost from day one has has had a role on on the field. And so there's a part of me that wonders, you know, does does Eddie really have more snaps on the field and starts on the field than Gino does? And you know, I I don't know if that's true or not, but it's it's not as far off as you would think. But you know, given given their relative. Um, you know, you know, kind of where they are in, in their, uh, you know, the number of years, I guess, in the system is what I'm trying to say. But, but the point is, yeah, I, you know, Eddie, Eddie seems to be taken to, to the role very well. Minka and, and Hump as, as well. I just think, and I am just going to be bullish on this secondary. I just think, you know, they're going to continue. There's so much youth and guys getting used to new positions that they're just going to, they're just going to get better and better and better. And and we need it. And we need it to happen fast. Uh, we need it to happen faster than maybe we are seeing it, but we are seeing it. And I think that's, I think that's impressive. What do you think about, um, you know, when we talk about the nickel and the dime and really it's all cornerbacks uh, on the field, what do you think now two weeks in a row, the first, what we would term true safety uh, to come into the game, uh, is Ronnie Harrison both times ahead of uh, Hootie? Uh, it's been Ronnie Harrison. What do you think about that? Now, would you consider would you would you consider Mari Smith to be more of a cornerback? Because I know yeah. early in the first quarter in the dime, he was the guy out there when they brought the six DBs. So you're just really talking about more the 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 prototypical true safety guy. Yeah, prototypical, and 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 if you if you want to put you know, a finer point on it, maybe more of the prototypical, what you would consider a strong safety, a bigger safety. But right. uh, yeah, I can, I, I consider a Mo, you know, he was recruited as, uh, and, and it's like Gino, right? He's always kind of been a star. And so, well, what is a star? You know, we call it a flavor of safety, but what was he when we recruited him? You know, he was a cornerback. And so he's, he's a corner skilled uh, guy. And, I've, and so I consider Mo a corner skilled uh, guy. Uh, you know, Ronnie is more of a true, uh, what I would call a true safety, uh, you know, maybe even more of a true strong safety. And so what do you think? And he, so he's another true freshman. We start talking about, you know, Minka and, 
and some of these other uh, true. Yeah, making Marlon Humphrey. Right. Marlon yeah. Humphrey, you know, you're right. It's a red shirt, right? Darren Payne is getting some reps. And so true freshmen are finding their way to the field. But, uh, you know, Ronnie Harrison seen the first sort of true safety role uh, two weeks in a row. You know, we both probably would have bet that it was going to be uh, Hootie Jones because he, he demonstrated some some speed last year on the field. And he's also sort of a big body. But, you know, it's Harrison out there instead. No, it is. It is surprising. You know, Harrison was 6'3", 218 coming to Alabama. He obviously is, you know, Tallahassee, Florida boy. So obviously, you know, he's got the genes, right? Uh, it's funny. The high school he went to was called the FSU University School. Right. Um, so that that's interesting in its own right that that we got him to Alabama. But, you know, uh, didn't he get there early? Uh, wasn't he an early enrollee? Yep. Yeah, he went yeah, through. So, uh, yeah, he went through spring. Yeah, so you know, it is it more to say about what he's doing, right, than what Hootie's not doing, um, because Hootie did make some plays, um, but you know, Hootie's listed on the depth chart at free safety. He's currently listed third string behind Jabril Washington, who's a senior. Um, you know. It is interesting. They're both big kids, right? Hootie's 6'2", 220, and the other kid's 6'3", 218. So it it makes me wonder whether Ronnie Harrison is just picking up the defense quicker. Well, you know, we talked about uh, we talked about that interception return that Damon Harris uh, Damon Harris uh, prevented, and you know the the offense MTSU went on to score score that touchdown, and. You know, we talked about it when when it happened. Uh, you know, that was Hootie out of position, and so you know the the quarterback you know rolled out, and so Hootie had coverage, and he saw the quarterback roll out, and so he he came forward to support a running quarterback, and left the receiver wide open behind him in the end zone. And you know, we both talked about uh, you know Hootie got an escort off the field, you know, saving and smart, one on each side, kind of giving him an earful. Um, you know, that's that's not the welcome wagon you want, right? No, it's not. But, you know, I, I equate it to the situation with Tony Brown. And, you know, I'll just say that, you know, Marlon Humphrey and Tony Brown were the top two cornerbacks in the nation coming out of high school. What a great problem to have that both of them came to the University of Alabama. You got one kid who gets redshirted in Marlon Humphrey. The other kid gets thrown out there in action early as a true freshman, right? So this is where it'd be great to be at practice, right? Because we get to read the stories and we get to read what the Cecil Hurts say for the five minutes they get to watch practice. But you have to scratch your head and wonder, how does a Tony Brown who got to play a lot last season, not even in the picture right now, not even like any type of a rotating type of basis. And Marley Hump, Marlon Humphrey has has just has just jumped over him, right? And 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 here they are both very talented players, right? And so you you have to wonder does Marlon Humphrey just get the defensive scheme that much better? Because you know Tony Brown, I know that wasn't your question, but I want to equate the, you know, that's another thing that puzzles me about the secondary is is you know, how does that happen? How does a Marlon Humphrey come out of nowhere from being a red shirt 
and and jump over Tony Brown like that? Yeah, and that's a fair question, and and one for which I you know there again I don't have a really good answer for that because you know not only did he play some last year, but you know situationally, and a part of it was due to injury because we had some guys certainly banged up, but but you know he he got some starts last year. I mean he got some he got some material time, and so you think you know, and and then and then you know you let's also think about in spring when when Cyrus uh, did not uh, was unable to go. And, you know, maybe some of the younger guys weren't there in the spring. I mean, he got a lot of reps in the spring, too. And so it looked very much like it was going to be Cyrus and and Tony. And then, you know, maybe Humphrey was going to kind of be hanging around because, you know, he didn't have the, the experience or playing time. But, you know, he certainly has burst on the scene. You know, Cyrus held his job. He came back to sort of hold his job. And Humphrey said, look, I'm going to take it. And, and he did. And Tony has just completely fallen, you know, and he's still super fast and, and you know, really talented. And I think he's still going to be a good contributor for us this season and, and, and next. But it's amazing how quickly he has kind of fallen, you know, fallen out of the depth chart. And you think about, you know, we're, we're playing corners at, at the safety like, we, like we've been talking about. We'll go to a dime. And so we're talking six cornerbacks. And, and Tony Brown can't can't find his way to the field. Still. That's a great point. You would think, right, one of the top two cornerbacks in the country would be one of those six. Yeah. It, I mean, you one of the six, right? On the team, correct. So, you know, not one of the two, not my left or my right, but we're going to uh we're going to a you know a fully loaded cor- corner dime and he can't, you know. And, and that's a fair point very quickly to jump in is that he's not one of those six, but when the second string defense came out, he came out with Brad Sylvie, okay? So you're sitting there saying, I mean, when you speak of the depth, right, uh, or maybe the competition that we're just not seeing at practice, Brad Sylvie and Tony Brown, who have both contributed key plays in their careers, Brad Sylvie more, you know, He's had some some bigger moments, you know, because he's been around longer. Sure. A Brown Sylvie and Tony Brown could be starting cornerbacks on other teams, and they're running as our number seventh and eighth cornerbacks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. One of the first six on the field, and they're seven and eight. Yeah. I mean, it's that's like, wow. Yeah, that's that's really something because, you know, and and you know, I I'm not going to name any names or kind of think it through too much, but, you know, we've had starting cornerbacks that, that, uh, you know, were not as good as those guys. And, and we've rolled out starters, you know, as a starting unit. Now, you know, Sylvie's had some up and downs and, you know, he was, I'm with you. He kind of fell off the, fell off the planet, you know, with some of his play early last year, but then he came back and was instrumental in, in, in games. And, you know, I think that, you know, Think of the Auburn game, right? He was kind of instrumental in that game, and so you take you take you know a, a Sylvie and and a Tony Brown. The, those are you know Tommy. We'd be very pleased for them to be the starters. There's been years where we'd be pleased with those guys being our starters. They were the key cornerbacks who stepped in in the Auburn and Missouri games at the end of the season. Yep, those two guys. Yeah, and right now they can't see the field and. And the other thing, real quick, is you take a Deshaun Hand. I know Deshaun Hand played, okay? But once again, Alabama fans need to enjoy being Alabama fans because this kid's a big kid. He was the number one player in the nation. And 
He didn't see the field much last year. And once again, he's coming in late in the games this year. That's no knock on the kid. I'm just saying it's kind of like when I saw, you know, DJ Fluker and Dre Kirkpatrick and Trent Richardson sitting on the sideline in that first game, their freshman year, saying, look at the three five-stars sitting on the sideline. I, I just love the fact that we've got some high-profile kids who can't crack the rotation the way that they think they should because we just got so much depth at the University of Alabama. Yeah, and it's a little bit of it's a little bit of you know cracking the rotation. It's a little bit of sort of learning the schemes and and playing in a very dependable uh, fashion. And so you think of um, you know Ragland was a great example last year where he just kind of was you know a pretty good special teams player, and then all of a sudden you know he's all con- all conference linebacker right, and and so we didn't see that coming, and. Robert Foster, and we're two weeks in, so it's hard to predict sort of the same sort of level of ascension. But, you know, you could argue that Robert Foster is showing that, you know, where he's done some flashes in A-Day, never really done anything on the field. But, you know, two games into the season, he's looking like a keeper. And so you wonder if a Deshaun Hand, you know, if he gets the right opportunity, if it's this season or next season, is he just going to come, you know, where did this guy come from? Is he going to be one of those? He is. He's going to be one of those players that next year people are going to have forgotten who he was, and he's going to get his time to shine when we don't have quite as much depth ahead of him, and it's going to be like, what's his name? Yeah. Who is he again? So and, just, and just, Courtney Upshaw was kind of the same way, right? He, he, you know, he was around. He was kind of in the rotation, played some special teams, and there was a year that it's just like, Hello, I'm Courtney Upshaw, and I'm here to tackle you. No, absolutely. Hey, what else jumped out at you on defense before we do game ball? You know, I, I like – you know, we made some good adjustments at halftime. They had 176 yards uh, in the first half, only 99 in the second. Um, I, I liked that. I thought we were pretty stout against the run. Uh, you know, they had 86 yards. Uh, they had a long of nine, um, and they averaged under three. So I, I like some of the production. You know, you take you take that level of production, uh, the adjustments at half, and the four turnovers. That's uh, that's how you win ball games. No, the only thing I'll say on the defense is is I didn't like seeing one of their uh, receivers with ten catches for ninety five yards. Sure. You know, it, it's we we shouldn't have a receiver for Middle Tennessee State. Granted, they got good skilled people, but we shouldn't see a receiver uh, for a Middle Tennessee State who gets targeted and uh, comes away with 10 receptions. That was that, that surprised me. When I looked at that stat, I was like, did they really have a receiver catch that many balls? Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, you know, it's it, – but it's, it's, it's one of those things. They were never really a threat, and we get some stuff to work on. And let's be realistic. We're talking about, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, right? Um, you know, they had a good time in Dallas last weekend. They know Ole Miss is coming next weekend. Uh, you know, it was it wasn't a sandwich game in in the context of, you know, you could lose it, but you could not look your best. And so we didn't look bad. We had over 500 yards of offense and at and, and sort of in the second half, we shut them down. So you could say, well, you know, there were some certainly some things to build on, but there was enough that uh, to improve upon as well. And so, you know. It was. It's almost just like, eh, you know, it was what it was. 
No, I'm with you. Give me uh give me your game ball so that you won't take mine. Well, I'm going Jaron Reed. Uh, uh, I I just thought he, he was active all day. Uh, you know, four tackles, a fumble recovery, a pass breakup, a quarterback hurry. Uh, he he had, uh, you know, there was a couple times I said during the game, you know, Jaron's putting together a really good day for himself, and you know he's not going to be on anybody's sort of watch list or or headline, but uh, I, you know, he's going to get drafted to the NFL. He's going to have a really good career, and I, you know, today or you know on Saturday. Uh, he had one of his, you know, maybe one of his better sort of stat sheet games. No, he did. And and when you look at the final stats and you see that him and Ashawn Robinson were fourth and fifth on the team, you know, they had the exact same line. They had three solos, two assists, um, uh, three, t- yeah, three, uh, three solos, two assists on the, on the stat sheet. You know, they're both like, they could both play the nose, right? And how many times do you see a nose tackle, no, no, no solos and one assist? So for both of them to have that many uh, tackles uh, with a passing team that, that, you know, didn't run the ball very much, um, that to me is very telling. Um, you know, I'm going to give some love to Denzel Duvall because I was kind of touting him in the preseason show. Um, you know, he didn't do anything, you know, he didn't do any flash. He was kind of like Jaron Reed, but – He's also like Brandon Diedrich and, you know, Lorenzo Washington. He, he sets the edge. And, um, you know, he, he finished second uh, in tackles behind Reggie. You know, three solos, four assists. So he had seven, you know, total tackles on the day. And um, that's probably his best stat line um, since before he was injured. And, yep. uh, and so as he continues to become comfortable with his speed, if we can have a faster Brandon Dietrich, um, I like that on the edge. You know, I'll tell you this about about Duvall. I, you know, I, was, you know, I, was, you know, there was there was, uh, and I can't remember at what point in the game, but but he he was trotting back onto the field, and um, you know, it was kind of a lull in the action, so he was just kind of trotting back uh, on onto the field, and I just thought, you know, he just looked so much. Um, he he's just remade his body uh from when from when he arrived he seemed he seemed taller you know uh yeah i don't want to say i don't want to say thinner to to mean that he was thin but uh he he just looked really thick less body fat and a little bit taller and i thought man that's that's what you know three and four years in in a college program will do to you i mean he looked like you know sort of a you know kind of a stout you know high school linebacker and you know he looked like I mean, he looked like a full-grown man coming in, uh, coming in the field, and so I'm glad you called him out because I just, I, you know, as he was coming into onto the field, I just thought, man, that's that's what a that's what a that's what a college program will do to you. Well, and you know, take a Courtney Upshaw, right? You mentioned Courtney Upshaw. This kid, I think, is bigger than Courtney Upshaw, and probably as fast. He was he was held back last year with you know with that high ankle sprain mess for for so long. Um, I think he's finally healthy again, and um, I think he, like Kenyon Drake on the offense, if those two guys can stay healthy, um, they just – you know, there's a lot of important players out there, but those are the two guys for me that, that they're difference makers if they stay healthy. They, they bring you something different. Kenyon Drake brings you something different at the running back position because of his flexibility, and I think Denzel Duvall – is a more 
I think he can by the end of the season. Okay, you just you 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 mark me down on this. Sure. By the end of the season, I think he can be a more polished guy than a Dante Hightower or a Courtney Upshaw. Oh wow. Okay. I, I, what I mean by that is, is my hands in the dirt this time. I'm covering the running back this time. I just think he has because of what you just mentioned as far as his body type, et cetera, I, I think he can bring some good versatility. Okay. Well, that, that, would, be a, uh, that would be a significant bar to cross. But, uh, you know, of course I'm going to root for him. Hey, uh, tell me on special teams, man. There was no jumbotron over the field. So uh, did, you, did you keep an eye on your punter? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and again, I'm not a punter whisperer. But he seemed to – he just seemed a little more, you know, and I'm saying this from, you know, row 49, right? He just seemed a little more relaxed and, and just let her rip. And, you know, he, he had a couple sort of moonshots. And, you know, I, I just couldn't help but think, you know, that probably would have hit the scoreboard. And so he, he's not thinking about that. And he just seemed – I don't know. He just seemed to have a better day. Well, there was one. There was one punt in particular. I don't remember where it was in the game that he drilled it to the sideline, and you know I could go punt it a thousand times, and I could never put it where he put it. He literally—it's kind of like that LSU punter years ago when we sure. said that if you put a garbage can out there, he would hit it. He he sat there and put the ball one yard off the sideline. So that when the, so that when the returner caught the ball, he was truly hemmed in by the punt coverage, and he had nowhere to go. Yeah, I want to say he punted it from about his twenty. He punted it to the other team's twenty. He truly flipped the field, and the guy had a one yard return. Yep, and it was like, wow, that was kind of cool. Yep. Hey, one other thing I want to point out to you is um, on our kickoffs, I noticed that we had mainly DBs. Uh, we had Dylan Lee at linebacker. We had Keith Holcomb at linebacker. Um, we had uh, Nice uh, Wander in the game. And then the rest of them were, were DBs, tons of DBs. And when we kicked off the ball, like, like to start the game, we had everybody lined up from the, um, from the hash over to the left sideline. In other words, it's like we lined all 10 guys up on almost half of the field and we left the whole other half of the field for the most part empty. And we purposely kicked the ball to the left corner of the end zone, knowing that it wouldn't go out of bounds, right? Knowing the guy wouldn't kick it short and get it at the 25. But it's like we, it's like we took half of the field away from the opponent on the kickoff return. And maybe we've done that before and I just haven't paid attention, but normally you see teams spread out their guys on both sides. And I thought that was kind of neat. No, that that is, and so I, I guess I didn't uh, I, I didn't notice that as it was happening. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, uh, you know, I thought special teams was a little you know a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. I I feel bad for Adam and and these two more misses. He's o for the season, uh, and so you know I hope that he can get it right, uh, or we're gonna have to make a, a change at the position. And I like to I like seeing us getting uh, a block punt. And so it went out of the end zone, and so there was the we got you know the two points for it. You know Keith Holcomb was right there; he was close to uh, a recovery. But uh, I like I like the fact that we got after them and uh, and blocked one. That's always fun. 
No, absolutely. Now, let me ask you on the uh, on the field goals because obviously the game wasn't on the line. Um, do we see do we see somebody else kicking a field goal in Ole Miss if he misses the first one? Yeah, I I, I think we do. And as far as the kickoffs, because I know this is a big thing for you as well. You know, J.K. Scott got a little action last year with Adams' back troubles. You know, out of six kickoffs, he only had two touchbacks. Um, are you surprised that we're not – that we – you know, we got some other guys out there with some big legs. Are, are you surprised that we don't have a little other action going on for the kickoffs? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, that doesn't mean we won't mix it up or we won't try something, but I, I'm, not so, uh, I'm not so surprised on that. Uh, what would you think about the uh, the uh, the backup punt returner? You know, I, I want you to I want you to tell the listeners because you jumped on this. I, I will preface this by saying, you know, I've been a big fan of Chris Black for a while. Um, highly recruited, recruited, you know, higher coming in than Amari Cooper. Um, I really thought that this was going to be his year to shine, and you know, uh, I'm not saying the year's over. It's only been two games, but um, he didn't get a lot of run with the offense in this ball game. Um, if you, as you look at the depth chart, uh, and you started seeing guys come out there, um, I was a little surprised that you know we we saw uh, we saw Dalen Charlotte. Um, forgive me, Dalen, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. We we saw him about the same time we saw Chris Black. Uh, it was pretty much the Foster Stewart. Mulaney Ridley show those yep. four guys and Chris Black wasn't in there um so that surprised me but but uh tell the listeners why you think that might have been well you know he came in as a receiver about the same time he did last last week uh same kind of time of the game also you know kind of with a similar personnel grouping and so you know he is definitely uh not presenting himself in the rotation as in the top tier rotation, he's in that second second group rotation. So he's going to have to get himself out of uh, out of that mess. And and last week, and and we spent some time talking about it. Right, he was he was the backup punt returner. Uh, you know when when we kind of put the second guy in, and uh, you know he just had that. <laughs> I mean, took it out of the end zone and then took a knee on on the seven and just. You know, for me, there's still, you know, kind of no explanation for that. And so we were surprised last week that, you know, immediately he went to, uh, you know, stay in the game as, as a receiver. But uh, this this week, uh, you know, against MTSU, when we rotated in a backup punt returner, uh, it was Mulaney. And so Chris Black did not see any action as a punt returner. Uh, it was Mulaney. And I thought that was interesting because uh, we kind of we kind of wondered last last week, you know, will he come into that position again? And, you know, it was a resounding no. <laughs> no, it, it was it was good to see that, you know, that, you know, maybe there's been some some things happen, you know, during the week. And and I still wish Chris Black the best. And, you know, he still has time as a junior, but, you know, um, he can't let these freshmen pass him up because then right. – because uh, then it'll, you know – you can't have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores in front of you. No, you you really can't, right? Because the one advantage you have as they start coming in is your experience and your time in the system. As they start passing you, 
they take away that advantage, right? And so now, are they uh, are are they that much more talented? And now they have the experience, which may have been the asset that you had. And and, and I'm not saying that he's not talented. I I don't I don't want to sound that way at all. Uh, you know, he spent some time hurt in fall camp, and you know he may still have some residual, and that is and we're intentionally kind of limiting his his uh, exposure as a result of that. I'm not sure I even buy that is even as I say it, but uh, you know, missing camp certainly hurts him in terms of getting reps and, and getting practice. So, you know, maybe mid midpoint through the season, he sort of gets his legs back under him and, uh, and starts to make a move, but uh, he's got to do that quick. No, absolutely. Well, Hey, give me your thoughts on the Ole Miss game. What do you think is going to happen here on Saturday? Man, I, that's, you know, this is going to be quite an interesting game. You know, they played uh, UT Martin first week and put up 76 points. And, you know, Fresno last week and put up 73. So, I mean, I don't know that we've ever played a team that's averaging 74 and a half points. Uh, and if if we have, I doubt that we were a six-point favorite. So, you know, we the, we our offense either has to get a lot better or our defense has to get a lot better. Uh, and I think it's probably going to be a little, a little bit of both. I don't see them, you know. Obviously, I mean, obviously, seventy points, but, but I, you know, I, I, see, you know, they've not seen a defense, you know, they've not seen an SEC, SEC caliber team. Let's just put it that way. And then, of course, you know, we're going to say that we're at the sort of the upper echelon of that. So, you know, they are going up in weight, uh, pretty significantly. And, you know, I don't know. Could Ole Miss beat Wisconsin? I don't know. Uh, you know, they're going to play a different style of game and they're going to play a style of game that gives us a little more trouble than what Wisconsin did. But, you know, you know, they might be that good. They might be they might be a little bit better. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, we're going to we're going to have to we're going to have to be very careful in the back end or they can light us up. And so we're going to be very, very intentional in that regard. Well, I think what we bring with our secondary changes that we talked about, I think we're going to really start to see some of that speed pay off. Yep. Um, I'm, you know, there's also going to be a little redemption here, right, to, yes. to that loss last year and and how all that happened, you know, late in the in the game like that. Um, I, I, I see something, you know, but for all those reasons, I, I really see something like a 35 to 10 ball game. I, I, I really think we're going to put it on them. Um, I think this is going to be an overconfident Ole Miss team, and um, I think we're going to knock them down a couple notches. Yeah, I think we do too. I, I saw a, uh, you know, it was one of those memes uh, sort of pictures that that people put together, and it was a it was a, a picture of Saban. And of course, he had a real surly look on his face, and uh, you know, it said, you know, Coach Saban is ten and one when he is playing a team that beat him the last time they played. And then the stat went on to say, and the one, he beat them in the national championship game when they rematched that same season. And I thought that's, you know, that's someone that doesn't like to lose and they like to get revenge against the people that they lost against. And so, you know, there's no doubt that, that, you know, coach and the team is going to have, you know, revenge, revenge on their mind and uh you know are we going to be able to capitalize on it i think we do i think we do take them down a notch and and so last year we lost Ole miss i understand two years ago 
it was not a dissimilar situation where Ole Miss was kind of riding high and, you know, we hadn't really found our, our true footing. But they came to Tuscaloosa two years ago, and I can't remember the score, but, uh, you know, it was a maybe it was 28 to 14 or something. But but it was it it was pretty clear who the better team was. And, and, and we kind of whipped them on that day and they scored, you know, so many more points below their average. And and so in some respects, this feels potentially like that game two years ago. And with your score prediction, you know, you're kind of that, you know, that's kind of where you're going. I'm wondering if it's not, you know, and I don't know how you get to some of these numbers, but I'm wondering if it's not a 25 to 15 type game, uh, you know, maybe a 32 to to 12, uh, you know, kind of kind of game. That I, I think that I think that we will win, uh, and and I think, you know, but I think it's I think it's a I don't want to say struggle, but I think it's a good game. And I think we do win, and 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 we may get that sort of, you know, the score that puts it to ten or over ten, you know, later later in the game. Well, if it makes you feel any better, two years ago we beat them twenty-five to nothing. Damn, was it twenty-five to nothing? It was. Okay. And so um, I I think that this is going to your point. I'm glad you mentioned the Saban revenge factor, revenge factor, because I don't have all the scores in front of me, but those next times he's played them. He has beaten them pretty badly, yep. and so uh, I hope that bodes well for my for my thirty five to for my thirty five to ten score. Thirty five to ten, yeah, and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go twenty five to ten. So we're we're off by ten. I you know obviously in in a case like that, I, I'm gonna go, I hope that you're right, and uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. What else do we need to cover? Anything that we missed or? Uh... No, man, I think we're good. I'm I'm ready. I'm glad it's a night game. Um, I'm glad I can uh, squeeze a lot into the weekend and uh, looking forward to uh, national TV at night and uh, a nice, cool game uh, to uh, to get. I'm ready to get it going. Yes, absolutely. Looking uh, definitely looking forward to it. Well, hey, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast powered by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.